My name is Ken Cash. My wife is sitting in the back corner. Her name is Jane. Um, you'll hear a little more about us later in the week, uh, but we will celebrate our 41st anniversary in October. And I'm just I'm grateful uh, for what the Lord has done for us. Uh, I have my son-in-law, my two daughters, and my grandson, grandsons back there. And so if you hear a lot of noise, uh, that's my son-in-law back there. No, actually, it's my grandsons. <laughs> And, uh, but it, it's, it's a joy to be able to come and share. And, and I want to tell you, this thing has, uh, so I was asked several months ago uh, to, to do this session. And, and I'm just going to be as honest with you as I can tell you. I, I, it has changed in the last week. Okay. Because there's just some things God has burdened my heart about. And, uh, and I want you guys to hear the overflow. And, uh, and so you can either say, man, he was led of the spirit, uh, or he ate some really bad pizza last night. And, uh, and if you think it was bad pizza, just keep that to yourself, please. All right. But let's open in prayer and we're going to dive right into what I want to share. Um, and just, uh, there is a chair, there is one seat right here. I just hate to see people standing in the back. And, uh, so there's one right here, Jeremy, there's one right here. If you'd like to, are you good? You sure? Okay. And, um, but let's, let's open in prayer, shall we? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, you are kind. You are good. Um, and I marvel for the relationship that we have the privilege to have with you. Uh, Father, you sought us when we would not seek you. Um, Lord, you loved us when we did not love you. And you initiated this encounter with us so that we could be redeemed. And Lord, everything that sin has robbed us, Lord, you have restored. And, uh, and we are so grateful. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. Lord, I pray that this time today that it will be profitable. Lord, I pray that you will use it uh, for your glory, but also use it to edify those that are here today. And I pray that as we leave here in a little bit that, Father, we'll be just a little more like you. And uh, thank you for our time. Thank you for the privilege to open your word. And thank you for the privilege to serve. And uh, we love you with all our hearts. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I'm just going to let you guys know I'm going to be more interactive. So when I'm going to ask some questions, please uh, feedback, okay? And if you're like, don't call on me, just go ahead and leave right now and it'll, and, you know, it'll be no problem. And uh, so, but I just, I want to get some thoughts from you guys as kind of building the thought that I want to share. Um, so when we come back, Jane and I have had the privilege of being with IM now. Uh, I think we've been full-time four years, and, uh, but we just served our first term in Bulgaria and we got back uh, end of April and here until August and we'll be going back again. So part of our training, when we come back, we go to a place called CIT. It's the Center for Intercultural Training, which is in the western part of North Carolina, a beautiful spot in the mountains. And we went there on the front side for about six weeks of training. And, uh, and then when, upon return, uh, I am is partnering with CIT, and we go back for a debrief time. And, and I can't even begin to tell you the refreshment of that while we were there. And uh, to go back and just kind of uh, 
unpack what we have been going and experiencing over the last couple of years. And, uh, and so we were there and there were, I don't know, 14, 16 missionaries that was in our debrief group. Uh, we were the only Free Will Baptists. There were several other uh, denominations represented that come and, and take part. And, uh, and so there was, there was a good number in our debrief group. And as we began to talk, uh, all of them were first, first term missionaries. And I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to tell you, because it, 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 and this is where all this kind of started with me changing directions. So when I come back and we begin to hear their stories, none of them are going back. None. They've been hurt. They've been discouraged. It was not anything that they were expecting to the point they said, we're done. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I just sat there that week of our debrief brokenhearted. And just listening to them express their hurts, and everything they had been through. And I mean, guys, hear me. To the point, they're not going back. Where they'd say, I know people are over there dying and going to hell. And I know they don't hear the gospel. And I know they don't have any understanding. But I can't, after what I've been through, I can't go back. So it wasn't like, oh, they, they're missing their cornflakes. Okay? I mean, these were big deals. And then I come back and I, I hear Dr. Moody. And, and, and by the way, I was at Bethel Church for 15 years where he grew up. And so when I reference him as Eddie, I'm not being disrespectful, okay? Uh, he is Eddie to everyone at Bethel Church. And, uh, and so, but when he begins to share... And I don't know what the number is now, 120 churches without pastors in our movement. Um, and you begin to, you, you hear all these studies of the pastors that are, they're quitting. And they're leaving. And they're not coming back. And they'd rather do anything but pastor. Missionaries would rather do anything than go back. Something's wrong. Can I get an amen? Yes. Something's wrong. And, and so that's where my heart began to just get stirred and begin to just kind of begin to listen and to begin to hear what's a pastor saying, what's a missionary saying. And by the way, the title of the session, it, it's still connecting because I, I just think the bridge for missionaries and pastors are so key, not just for the ministry's sake, but for our longevity's sake. That we need to build friendships that are not just talking shop, but we're talking about our lives and our hurts 
and our burdens and our brokenness so that the call of God on our lives continues until he comes or we go home. Amen? And so I want us to just kind of talk about this a little bit. So uh, someone, if you'll be kind enough, could you look up John 1.11? And if you got it, just slip your hand up, okay? If you don't have it, if, <laughs> don't put your hand up, all right? And uh, who's got it? Somebody, thank you. All right, John 1.11. And someone will look up Isaiah 53.3. You got it? Thank you, all right? So John 1.11, you good? Go ahead. And by the way, really loud. Please do. And by the way, if you do that, go ahead and stand up, all right? So thank you. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. By the way, well done, all right? Hey, come on up here. I'm just going to whisper in your ear, and you keep saying the things I'm saying, all right? Uh, well done. Can you, for emphasis, a very short verse, could you say that one more time? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay. All right. Can, can we talk for just a few moments about this? I want us to brainstorm about this. We understand, and it's part of our doctrine, and we, we say amen to this. We understand Jesus was our kinsman redeemer. Amen? Okay. Which means what? For him to be the kinsman redeemer, he had to be 100% what and 100% what? He had to be 100% God, but he also had to be 100% man to relate and be connected to us, all right? So, when we're, you're studying the ministry of Jesus Christ, understand, he's human. Oh, he's God, I understand that. So please, don't, don't misinterpret me. But somewhere in this kinsman redeemer ability, he is able to be 100% God, and 100% man at the same time. For instance, he, he goes uh, to see the woman at the well. Why did he stay? Well, we understand he's going to see the woman, but el what else was going on? He was, he was weary. He was weary. And he sent the rest of the guys on. Now, understand, using the weariness so he can meet the woman, I get it, Okay. But physically, Jesus was tired. Physically, Jesus would thirst. Physically, Jesus was hungry. Physically, Jesus was broken. He's in the garden doing what before the crucifixion? Agonizing. Times Jesus was angry, right? And thankfully, he, you know, where all that mixes in, he was able to be angry and sin not, where I haven't done so well at that. How about you guys? Okay? So I want us to think for a moment in the, the humanity side of Jesus' ministry, just in the scriptures that we know, personally, on a human level, what were some of the discouragements and hurts Jesus went through in ministry. Help me. Betrayal. Betrayal. 
Now, you want to talk about one of the biggest? Remember when David was agonizing in the Psalms and he said, listen, you know what? If it was an enemy, I could get over it. But this is one of my own. Jesus was betrayed by his posse. Right? Somebody else? Yeah. Very much so. Rejection. Man, you, you read John 6, right? And in John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and man, it's like the zenith of popularity. And then the next day, he said, boys, it's, it's not Bojangles today, okay? Today, it's going to be, I'm going to preach a sermon. Now, 5,000 men plus women and children, I mean... Who knows? I mean, good grief. I mean, that could have been like as many children that the Hebrews were having. It could have been like half a million people. I mean, who knows? I mean, good grief. All right? And so you have this huge crowd plus the 12. And Jesus says, boys, today it's not going to be fish and chips. Today it's, I'm preaching a sermon. And you read John 6 and it says many, which translates majority, Left. Now listen to this. And to never follow him again. Okay? Rejection. From a church planter standpoint, he went from 5,000 plus women and children plus 12 to 12. And one of them was already thinking about betrayal. Okay? You know, so on the church planter, church growth scale... Jesus probably would have been considered a failure by our standards. And so, rejection. What else? I think about, obviously, Jesus gets frustrated with his Jewish religious leaders in yeah. the temple, but he oftentimes, even the disciples, says, how long will I be with you that yeah. you don't get it? Yeah. Just not seeing the progress maybe that he thought you could see. Oh, very good. Especially in the discipleship level, right? You know? Boys, how long have I been with you? And you still don't understand? And so you have all these things going on. Now, I want you to hang on to that because this is important for where I'm going. All right? So please understand when Jesus, so here is Jesus ministering on this earth. And we just described, I mean, just in a few seconds, we described five or six difficulties And by the way, all those words, rejection, isolation, loneliness, um, discouragement, um, all those words, words you relate to in your ministry? Amen? Okay? So hang with me with this. So, as I was thinking through... 43% of missionaries do not return for second terms. Now, I don't know, again, statistics are, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. Best I could come up with from pooling several different resources, 
if I just kind of put them in a pot and said, okay, the median, 43%, almost half. Now, praise the Lord, I, I, I don't have the number of what that is with IM. I don't think it's that, okay? And I don't think it's near that. And by the way, praise the Lord for that, amen? But overall, 43% of missionaries will serve one term and never go back, okay? Top five reasons, I'm glad you asked. All right. Pardon? Oh, thank you. I'm glad you asked. All right. <laughs> so here we go. All right. Drum roll, please. Okay. Um, I'll start at the bottom. This is number five. They felt like they had nowhere to turn. That's tragic. Okay. Number four. They didn't reach out. In other words, they turned inward. Okay? How many of you, let's, let's just talk about the human dynamic. How many of you, when you're under stress, you tend to turn inward instead of reaching out? Anybody in here that way? Yeah. That's part of our, you know, that's part of our personality profiles. You know, for some, they cry for help. But for many, many others, when they're under duress, when they're under stress, they don't ask for, they just completely shut down. Okay, that was reason number four. All right, reason number three. There was a lack of communication slash they were lonely. Um, Jane and I, we, we started in the city of Plevin for about eight months. Uh, we're with the postal weights. Uh, we have a team uh, that's in Bulgaria, missionary team, and uh, it stretched across the country. And so we were there for eight months, and then we moved to Vileko Turnovo, and our nearest team member was, what, Trip, an hour and a half probably from us, okay? Uh, I'm, you know, I don't give away my age a lot, so I'm 60, really none of your business, okay? <laughs> and... Um, but, the, you know, the truth is I'm 61, and, you know, I should have my mess together by now, right? I'm in Turnovo. I'm lonely. I don't have the network of pastors that I used to have here, being in eastern North Carolina for 30 years, constantly talking to my ministry friends. It was... None of that. And if I, at 61, was really feeling discouragement from being isolated and lonely, imagine what a 25-year-old's going through for the very first time. As they're trying to sort it out. And so they were lonely. Number two... A lack of prayer support. They didn't sense anybody was praying for them. Now that's tragic. Now, that may or may not have been true, but in their perception, and their perception was based on the fact, no one's telling me. I'm not hearing anybody say, I pray for you. Man, at least somebody lie. 
<laughs> Amen? I mean, at least lie, brother. I prayed for you. You know? What's your name again? Where are you? What's your wife's name? But they sense nobody. They sense, listen, nobody cared. They got them there. They were sending money. But they didn't sense anybody cared. Money doesn't fix everything. Money's great because it keeps us on the field, amen? But money doesn't fix everything. To get a call from somebody occasionally and just say, hey, I had you on my mind. I just want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. You have no idea how far that will take you. And with the way technology is today, there's no reason not to. Right? Number one. Thought this one was interesting. The number one reason why missionaries come home, team dynamics. Team dynamics. A lack of networking, and again, they felt isolated even amongst a team. And so... Five reasons why missionaries, okay? Here we go. Top five reasons. This is according to the Barna Research Group. Five top reasons why pastors quit. Okay? Are you ready? Reverse order. Number one, or number five, discouragement. They're just discouraged. Kind of what you were sharing. Man, I've been here this long and it just feels like people should be a little further along. I must be a failure. Discouragement. Number four, they're seeing the hurt of their family. They see what their kids and their wives are having to go through. And they just think, you know, I'm tired of putting my family through that. Number three, the division of God's people. So there's, when I was pastoring, I pastored for several, several years in eastern North Carolina and uh, loved it. And on a Wednesday, I would usually, I wanted the people to know, I don't just read the Bible to study sermons, okay? That, you know what? I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor, amen? Yes. Amen, bud? And so I read the Bible for my personal edification, for my own transformation. And then I'll study a sermon. But if I'm not being transformed, I'm giving you nothing. Okay, all I'm doing is a job. Uh, and so I would share on a Wednesday, I'd just give two, three minutes and say, hey, let me tell you something fresh I read. It was really good, spoke to me. I'd just give you the overflow, okay? This isn't my sermon, so don't think you're getting off easy tonight. And, uh, but this is just something that was really good to me and I just wanna share it with you. And, uh, and so, you know, in one of the Gospels, I think it's in Luke, uh, the man with the withered hand that goes into the temple and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Do you remember that? And, uh, and, and I love that because it was like, he talked about, you know, when they came in, the Pharisees, they were watching 
and uh, instead of worshiping, right? And uh, and then they they when they when they Jesus said, "Hey, what's your questions?" They were silent when they could have given given good constructive criticism. They said nothing, and he, they even given the opportunity to speak, and they said nothing. But then when it was over, they huddled up and said, "How are we going to kill this guy?" Okay. They said, you want to know if you're a Pharisee? You come to church to watch instead of worship. Okay? When the, when the opportunity comes when you could give a good, get some good counsel and good advice, you say nothing. And then when it's all said and done, you huddle up and be critical of what the decision was made. That's being a Pharisee. But Jesus gave these little bullet points all the time. But one of the things he said this, and you remember this in John 17, he's praying. And he begins to pray for his disciples, and then he changed his prayer. He said, not only am I praying for them, but Father, I'm praying for those who one day will become. And by the way, let me tell you how amazing God is in the person of Jesus Christ. He was seeing you the eternal God who's not bound by the moment he's in, he was looking down the road and saying, hey, there's a day Brenton is going to come to know me. I want to pray for him too. So on the day he's following me, he knows what's my heart. And he said this. Here was this number one prayer request for those believers. Father, help them to be one like you and I are one. He even gave the clarification of what that unity is supposed to look like to the level of the Father and the Son. Okay? And twice in that prayer he says this. It's astounding to me. Twice. Father, help them to see, help them to be united so that the world would know that I have been sent. So I told the church, I said, guys, with a positive, there's an equal negative, right? So here's the positive. With unity, it tells a lost world Jesus is legit. When a church is splintered and fighting over anything and everything, it's telling a lost world Jesus is a fraud. And pastors who are trying and they see these constant arguments, splinterings, knowing what it's doing to a lost world. And they just get so discouraged. Loneliness and isolation. And then the last one was just the stress of the job. Okay? You know, you remember when Paul was talking about it, he said, look, he said, man, I've, I've got this going on in my life, and I've got this going on in my life, and I've got this going on in my life. And then he said this, and, it, and it's just a little phrase, but if you catch it, it's like every pastor would say, I get what he just said. And, uh, and he ultimately says, and the care of the churches. Yeah. Okay? And, uh, and the stress just ended up getting them. So in this, when we're at CIT, and I'm listening, I'm just listening to these missionaries 
understanding, I'm hearing pastors, so I, I will call, and uh, two board members in here, so I want to make sure they hear this, okay? All right? So I'm calling my, my pastor base, all right? And, um, and, you know, and just checking in with them periodically. Hey, just want to check in, let you know what's going on, and here's what's going on with us. And, and, and I always ask them this. I said, guys, you know, I, I don't want you to pray for me right now because I know you guys already are, so how can I pray for you? All right? And it was mind-boggling. How many? I think I have 26 supporting churches that are in church budgets for us. And the number of pastors who would say, please pray for me, I'm discouraged. I'm going through a bad time right now. Please pray for me. Pray for my family. And just the break of my heart to listen to these discouraged pastors. And I'm sitting in an apartment in Bulgaria. And so I come back and we're sitting in this CIT debrief. And, and I sat in this session. And by the way, I've called. I've already contacted uh, the personnel at CIT and said, can I have your permission to share a little bit? And they said, yeah. So I, I just want you to know that I have their permission to be able to share this. and Because it just... Because, you know, how many of you know when you go to anything, like this conference, and you go to these sessions, you know, there'll be four or five, six sessions you go to, and you say, that was good, that was good, that was good. But then you have that one where you just say, oh, my goodness. That's why I came. I needed that session. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. This session in our CIT debrief is what I needed. Um, so two years Bulgaria, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I'm the person, when you see the cup, it's always half full. I see the green light. I don't see the red light, all that junk. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic to the max. All right. Always look for the silver line because it's there. It's somewhere. And uh, so that's just me. And, you know, I went through a, a period in Bulgaria where... I think personally, I, I entered into some depression for the very first time in my life. It was tough. I felt very alone. And that, that's not me. And, and look, my dear wife, because she was sitting there looking at me, and she's like, what are you thinking? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I just know right now it's really hard. Um... And I remembered thinking, man, what's wrong? There's something wrong with me. Okay? You know, maybe, you know, I'm just a failure at this. And just all these things the enemy would begin to throw at you. You guys ever there? I hope, you know, and if you're not, then uh, when you get there, I hope you'll remember this. Okay? Because it's coming. Um, I need to keep my eye on the time, too, by the way. You're, you're helping me, right? All right, so she's back here. She said, I'll tell you what, it's 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. Thank you, all right? And, uh, and so my wonderful wife, because it was us. It was just us and Turnabout, and that's it. So it was like, okay, 
when she was struggling, she'd bounce it off me. When I was struggling, I'd bounce it off her. When we're both struggling, we just bounce it off each other and it fell on the floor. Okay? And she said, Ken, you need to talk to somebody. I'm like, okay. So I, I, I reached out to two pastors. Okay? And just said, I, I, guys, I, I just want you to hear my heart a minute. I'm struggling. I mean, I'm in the Word daily. It's not that I'm like running away from Jesus. It's not that. But I'm just, I, I, I don't know what's going on with me, but it's just hard. And both of those pastors, I love them dearly, and they are friends. Listened to me for about 10 minutes, and they began to share their stories. They said, you know, we need to get together. And I'm like, yeah, we do, please. I want the accountability. I want someone calling and checking on me and saying, Ken, how are you? Are you okay? Especially when I called and said, I want somebody to call me. Hey, let's do this every week. Awesome. Let's do it every week. Hey, okay, next Tuesday, I'm going to call you. Tuesday would come and go. The next Tuesday would come and go. After about a month, I'd get a text. Hey, thinking about you, we need to get together. Yeah, we do. And part of this session is this. I just want to remind us, guys, we need each other. Do that one more time. Thank you, all right? We need each other. And so in this session I'm sitting in, they divided us into two teams. They said, okay, I want, when team A goes into here, team B, I want you to go into this room. And we're going to ask you a question we want you to write down. Something similar to what I asked you on the front side. So my team went into this room, and here was the question. Write down your personal frustrations of ministry. What are the things that discourage you? And, man, we came up with, the, I mean, several of these. It was lonely, discouraged. Um, disappointed, um, lack of progress, uh, just several things that came. And, and we're just writing them down, okay? So take about 15 minutes, write those down. The things that just, that just you know, your, your personal battles in ministry, okay? Wrote them all down. We thought Team B was doing the exact same thing. But here's, here's what they said. Here was their question. I want you to go into that room and I want you to write down what I asked you on the front side. What do you think were the frustrations of Jesus' ministry? And then they brought out both sheets of what we've been writing on. And when you looked at them, guess what you found? It's the exact same thing. Almost verbatim. Which was really, really interesting. Okay? Now, with that thought in mind, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 3. And if someone would be kind enough to read verse 10. Anybody? With a loud voice? All right, bring, break out the preacher voice again, okay? Philippians 3.10. 
That I may know him. And the By the way, stop there. Okay, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you along the way, so don't think I'm being rude, although I am. And uh, so read that first, just that first phrase again. That I may know him. Okay, now I want you to hear what Paul's getting ready to say. What's his goal? I want to know Christ. How many of you in here want to know Christ? You don't want to know about him. You want to know him. You want to be intimate with him. You want to be as close to him as you can possibly be. How many of you, that's your heart? That's my heart. Guys, I want to know him more than I know anything, more than I know anyone. I want to know him. Okay? I don't want to win Bible trivia. There's too many Christians that are great at Bible trivia, but they don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to have an intimate relationship. Paul begins to tell us how. How it happens. Go on. And the power of his resurrection. Stop there. So the first way you're going to know Christ, how? Salvation. Salvation power of the resurrection okay you'll never know jesus till you're saved you don't even begin the relationship until you're saved okay and then you experience the power of the resurrection in the daily living how many of you have seen god be victorious in your life over things you didn't think you you couldn't get rid of on your own how many of you have seen the power of the transformation of god in your life since you became a follower of jesus christ that's the power of the resurrection. And by the way, every Christian, you know what every Christian says? Yes. Pour that on me. I want the power of the resurrection. I want to see the miracles. I want to see all the cool stuff. Because I want to know Jesus. But here's the second way. If we're going to know him, we have to do this. Go ahead. Oh, too many Christians check out here. Oh, I didn't know the ministry was going to be this way. I thought they'd just love me. I thought everything would be awesome. If it was going to be that way, don't you think it would have been that way for Jesus? If it was ever going to be possible... Don't you think it would have been so with our Lord, who was way better at it than I am, and by the way, who was way better at it than you are? Amen? Yeah. And yet, we just listed a whole bunch of things he personally struggled with in his public ministry. And by the way, if you get tired of standing, you can go ahead and be seated, okay? You're, you're a great friend, so thank you for doing this, all right? <coughs> But to know him in the fellowship, that word fellowship, interesting word, it means a path that befalls one. A path of suffering. One that at times must be endured if you're going to get to the end. What's the end? And please don't say heaven, okay? What's the end? What's the goal? To know him. If I'm going to know him, there's just going to be times in my life that I must go through the path of suffering. And it's not just, and by the way, sometimes we say, you know, what we're suffering over. And, and I just want to correct people because sometimes, you know why we suffer? Because we do stupid things. 
All right? And I deserved to suffer because I was acting like an idiot. Amen? But that's not what he's talking about here. He says, you know, there's going to be times you're going to suffer just because you're doing it right. And the very same things Jesus went through, you're going to go through. And it's going to come. And you're going to have to go through that path if your goal is to do what? To know him. Okay? Then, keep going. Being made conformable unto his death. Okay? So he's saying, okay, if you're really going to know me, there's going to have to be some things that are going to have to die in you. Death is hard. Okay? Um, it's difficult. It's one of the most painful things you go through. By the way, thank you, my brother. And if you're going to crucify things in your life, painful because it's going to make you look at yourself for who you really are now I can be quick to say brother I got about 12 things you need to crucify just ask me I've been watching okay but when was the last time you fell on an altar and begged God and begged him for forgiveness because I need to slay this in my life once and for all. And God, forgive me because this isn't resembling you. It's looking too much like me. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And, I, and I wonder, and again, just, just a thought. And as I've been studying and reading and praying and thinking and reading and praying and just that cycle you go through in preparation, I wonder... If the things I'm supposed to crucify in me, if a lot of them are not my reactions to the suffering I'm going through. Because when I go through sufferings, I want to blame others. And I want to put the focus on others. Well, you know what? The others have always been there. They were there in Jesus' time. And they're always going to be there. Right? And so when I get mad, or I get hurt, or I just want to throw in the towel, or I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm reacting. And if God's called me, I have to slay, crucify in me what it is that's causing me to react the way I'm reacting. How many of you know that in those times when you've gone through a hard time, you've thought thoughts you should have never thought? I mean, you've, you've thought of ways on how to kill them. Okay? I mean, you've already got it all planned out. Look, it, you know, we lived in North Carolina, eastern North Carolina. We did not live from the, far from the dismal swamp. I thought, man, what an easy drop-off. They'll never find them, you know? And, but those things that need to be crucified in us, for what purpose? So I can know him. So I was sitting in that session, and I was thinking about all the 
junk of some of the last two years. Now, it wasn't all junk. There were some great things. But there was some junk. Okay? And by the way, if you're going to do ministry, there's great things, but there's junk. Okay? It's not always great. If it is, you're lying. But in the junk, how was I reacting to that? Was I responding to it or was I reacting to it? And if I'm reacting, I need to crucify that. Because it's revealing something about me, not the junk. Okay? So that, what's the ultimate goal? So I can know him. So I sat there and I thought, Lord, I'm sitting in that session. And man, the Holy Spirit's like just stomping on me. In a, in a loving, wonderful way, by the way. As the, only the Holy Spirit can do. Amen? Okay? And it just hit me. Lord, if going through the junk of ministry graciously, the way I watched my Savior do it, and I can crucify those thoughts in me to reflect how he handled it, more than how I want to handle it. What's the byproduct? I'll know you more. Because I'll know your heart more. And if at the end of the day I know your heart more, it's worth the junk. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Okay. Amen, guys? So, for me, I thought, Lord, I must be a f really far away because there's a lot of junk, <laughs> okay, that <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. And, uh, but, but here's what I, I, and you say, okay, wrap it all up. All right, I'm glad you asked. I will. I just want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts. I hope your passion is not just to do ministry. I hope your passion is to know Jesus. Okay. We need to stop getting caught up in our jobs and let's be who we are. The job will come easy with that. Okay? And so, as I know him more, it reminded me. As that's true of pastors, it's true of missionaries. If a lot of the reasons why they get discouraged and quit, both of them had some parallels, isolation, discouragement, loneliness, no one's listening, no one cares, okay? If anyone gets it, it ought to be us. We need to network. Amen? Because if anyone understands each other's hearts, it's the people that are sitting, I mean, if you're a pastor, if you're a missionary, you understand. And what I'd like to do, and I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I have no way of checking. If you don't do it, it's okay. If you do do it, I'm thrilled. But I want you to leave the convention with two people that you've set up that you're going to continually be talking with. And here's what you talk about. Talk about the things. Don't talk about all the junk, because look, we can sit here and talk for days about the junk. Let's talk about, Lord, my friend, would you pray for me? Because I'm not responding to the junk as I should. Here's how I'm responding. Would you pray that God will help me to respond, not react? 
that I could reflect him better so that I could know him more and be real. There's times I'm mad. There's times I'm ticked. There's times I'm lonely. There's times I'm hurting. There's times I want to pinch their heads. But when I feel that, there's something in me that's not resembling my Lord. Pray with me that I reflect him well so that I can know him more. Amen? Amen. And when you talk to each other, let me encourage you. Number one, be focused. Don't say, yeah, brother, I want to talk to you and then say, hey, but let me tell you about me and and I'll call you back next Tuesday, and a month goes by, and hey, I'm going to message you again. You know, we really need to get together. Why haven't you reached out to me? Okay, well, I thought it was left in your court. Okay, don't do that. Be focused. Because you know what? If someone is vulnerable enough to reach out to you, I'm done, aren't I? All right? Okay? Yeah, she's like, I got to move on to the next thing. By the way, give that young lady a hand, all right? Great job. And I promise, 60 seconds, I'm done. Ish. Um, if someone reaches out to you, you know how much guts it took? That's true. And how vulnerable they had to be, and how hurting they had to be to get to that point. And for you to say, I don't have time. You may have caused the last straw. Amen? You need to ponder that before you say, well, you know what, I'll get back with you, brother, when I have time. Okay? So think about who those two people are. Be focused. Be respectful. Care. This is a co-laborer. This is not your arch enemy. This is a co-laborer care and then be genuine be real in your conversations amen Amen. can i encourage you guys do that okay because we need each other